you have this urge to look behind when you walk on the street, you know, if somebody's following you or not. You, you start trying to see whether that person there is looking at you with positive feelings or negative feelings. The other one, does he know you? Does he, is he looking at you because he knows you and uh, is he one of them? You see, that's the question which comes to your mind. This was the voice of Vanu Guven, a prominent Turkish journalist, talking about how online threats trigger fear for her personal safety. The fact is that many journalists are subjected to online harassment for doing their jobs. But research has shown that women journalists are disproportionately targeted and receive more vicious types of attacks, especially of a sexual nature. The constant stream of online threats and verbal abuse is something that can eventually have real-world consequences. This can range from serious ecological stress, to fears about personal safety, to even being forced to leave social media, a fundamental tool for many journalists to disseminate news. But if they do, then everyone loses, as BBC political editor Laura Kunzberg explains. I have thought about coming off social media, but then people who actually are there who want information, which is the most important thing for me, then they lose. And then I lose. So what's the point of that? The viciousness of the online attacks directed at women can have a traumatic impact, as Azerbaijani journalist Arsu Geybuleva describes. It's a really um, dark place to be in. And if you're stuck in it for a really long time, I think it has severe repercussions on a person. I'm just really, really thankful and grateful that I wasn't stuck in that dark place for a long time. These are just a few of the protagonists of the documentary A Dark Place, produced by the OSCE representative on freedom of the media in cooperation with the International Press Institute. The film also highlights the lack of support and protection that journalists receive from institutions. I think I'm not protected, you know, uh, that institutions aren't protecting me, protecting me. For the past uh, year or two years, we had many attacks on journalists, verbal or physical. Nothing happened, you know, we don't know any of those guys or girls who, who, who attack journalists. We, we don't know anything about it. And more serious situations happened than, than this one uh, to me. This was Serbian investigative journalist Maria Vucic. But state actors are not the only ones that should play a role in addressing online harassment. Media organizations have also a role in supporting journalists that are under attack and putting in place mechanisms to blunt the emotional and professional impact of online abuse on their journalists. Today, we'll place the focus on the solutions. What can be done to address online harassment and, most importantly, by whom? And we will do that with the newly appointed OSCE representative on freedom of the media, Ms. Teresa Ribeiro. I'm Teresa Ribeiro, I'm the representative for freedom of the media uh, here in the OSCE 
um, and um, I just started my my mandate months ago, months and a half ago. Um, I have already set my priorities for the next uh, three years. Um, I have been before uh, in my different previous lives. Uh, I have uh, worked a lot in the media field. Uh, I have been uh, also Secretary of State um, for more than seven years, uh, European Affairs and International uh, Affairs. Um, I have worked with lots of uh, international organizations from the EU uh, to UNESCO and, um, uh, and Council of Europe. Um, so that's it. That's my experience. <laughs> with her, we will talk about their SoftJob project and the resource guide that they have recently published, which includes 40 proposed actions to different stakeholders, from governments to law enforcement, as well as tech platforms, among others. And we will also talk with IPI Executive Director Barbara Triomfi. Hi, my name is Barbara Triomfi, and I am Executive Director of IPI, which is a global network of editors, publishers, and leading journalists dedicated to quality journalism and press freedom. I've been with IPI for over 20 years, and throughout these times, I have looked uh, very much into issues related to journalist safety, both physical safety as well as, more recently, online harassment, among other issues that affect uh, journalists and journalists' ability to do their job. With her, we will explore what measures media organizations can implement to protect their journalists, including freelancers, and why it is fundamental to do so in order to allow journalists to work freely and without fear. My name is Javier Luque, and this is The Press Freedom Files. Ms. Teresa Ribeiro, welcome to the Press Freedom Files, and thank you very much for taking part of it. First of all, what is SoftJo and why it's important for everyone, not only for journalists that have been targeted, so why it's important for everyone to tackle online harassment? Democracy can only strive if a plurality of voices uh, is, uh, is, uh, is heard. Media freedom and plurality uh, are crucial for security, prosperity, human rights, uh, and growth in all societies. But media freedom can only exist when journalists are safe to do their work. Uh, so safety of journalists is uh, a top priority here uh, at the OS, uh, OS, um, OSC uh, RFOM. Uh, while all journalists, unfortunately, uh, face threats and challenges in their work, which is, of course, concerning, uh, women journalists face uh, a distinct risk and a double burden uh, as women and as uh, journalists. Um, online attacks targeting women journalists impede media pluralism uh, as they narrow the diversity uh, of views, voices and opinions. Um, last year, a new study uh, by UNESCO and the International Center for Journalists found that nearly three quarters of women journalists say that they have experienced uh, online abuse. And this is really, really very concerning. That's why in 2015, my office started uh, the Soft Gel project, uh, safety of female journalists online. 
uh, over the past five years. Uh, the main focus of the projects on, was on research um, and raising awareness to develop uh, a substantial and uh, a profound base of knowledge and at the same time a wide network um, across the region, of course. Um, all of this has contributed to increase awareness um, and political will to improve safety uh, of uh, women journalists, uh, uh, even if, unfortunately, the violence itself has not uh, been decreasing. Uh, despite all the international commitments uh, and public discussions uh, on this issue. So we clearly need uh, to, to do something uh, to overcome the implementation gap, because it's this that is missing. Uh, so the software resource guide that we launched in November, uh, last November in 2020, uh, is a tool uh, really to provide all stakeholders with guidance uh, for concrete actions that need to be taken, uh, which means that uh, we need now uh, to implement uh, and to have this new phase uh, of implementation. This is uh, absolute key if we, if we want to have uh, sound results uh, on the ground. So this podcast aims at uh, discussing possible solutions and experts uh, talk about how important it is to involve all the stakeholders. The Softio resource guide that your office published uh, last year looks into actions that different uh, stakeholders um, can take. Can you actually give us an overview of it? Yes, but first of all, I would like very much how important is uh, a whole of society approach if you want really uh, to overcome uh, or at least to contribute to mitigate uh, this terrible problem. Um, which means that we need the states, of course. Uh, it's very important, the political will, but at the same time, uh, we need to involve all the other stakeholders, uh, the media, the, 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 the media association, the journalists themselves. So we need really, and the citizens uh, as such, uh, because it's important for them to understand how important it is to, to, to have journalists, how important it is to, to provide them with the legal uh, safety environment, uh, not on legal, but uh, also uh, uh, physical, uh, psychological. So we, we need to really um, be sure that all these dimensions uh, are uh, really tackled and considered when we uh, address this, uh, this terrible challenge. Um, and uh, the resource guide really uh, not only identify the, the different stakeholders, uh, but at the same time um, identify the actions that uh, should be taken uh, to, uh, to address this challenge. So, and this is, uh, uh, of course, very, very important. State actors and non-state actors, of course. So it's a um, wide approach, multi-layered, and uh, a whole of society. Mm -hmm. But um, um, are states doing enough? I mean, some of the targeted journalists that we interviewed mentioned 
the lack of understanding from law enforcement when they report the attacks. So what are the steps that state actors, such as government, the judiciary and the authorities, can actually take to be more responsive to online abuse against women journalists? All the states should do more. No, no doubt uh, about this and the proposed actions uh, in the case of, of the soft show include uh, legislative reviews uh, and reforms, the development of national action plans uh, and dialogue building. And dialogue building is of course uh, uh, one of the, key, of the key aspects that the states, uh, in which the states should uh, invest uh, a lot. But I think sometimes from the part of the states there is uh, some the lack the lack of awareness I would say I would say um, so it means that they are not uh, they are not really doing uh, what is needed. Okay, let's talk now about another actors that actually are playing a very important role, which is the internet intermediaries, meaning the social media platforms and other tech companies. So. Um, many journalists claim that it takes you know, the platforms a long time to remove abusive content. So what, what are the actions that the resource recommends for, for the platforms? Okay, first of all, um, social media platforms play a crucial role uh, when we speak about public debate and conversation in 2021, which has become even uh, more obvious during uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. I think it's crucial to emphasize that even if they are private companies, they have the responsibility to respect human rights, uh, their, uh, their content moderation and content curation frameworks have an important impact on what people uh, can see and share online while it's, uh, it's very in uh, transparent and has uh, um, little or no oversight. Uh, at the same time, these companies' business models focus on increasing user uh, engagement uh, to increase advertising uh, revenues, which uh, often leads to the amplification of hatred and online uh, attacks. So it is indeed essential for the safety of women journalists and our public debates um, to really ensure uh, that media platforms um, act in conformity with our uh, democratic values. I think it's particularly important that social media platforms have sound uh, reporting uh, mechanisms in place, complemented with uh, appeal uh, mechanisms to challenge decisions, uh, and uh, that they deal, um, the way they deal with complaints is, is transparent and uh, is in a timely uh, manner too. Uh, so intermediaries should uh, conduct regular assessments uh, of how their services and policies impact freedom of expression, privacy and non-discrimination. Um, and apart from all these measures that uh, are to be taken by the, the, the media platforms and the big techs, uh, we need, of course, to ensure that the public institutions are involved, uh, that we have uh, clear and transparent regulations that ensure um, fair access 
data protection uh, and, uh, uh, and really prevents uh, uh, incitement to hatred. Um, and at the same time, we need also to ensure uh, that we have oversight institutions, democratic institutions, uh, that can really play uh, a role. Yeah, but um, I guess that one of the main difficulties of these regulations is to uh, properly weigh uh, the, the regulation itself with the respect and the protection of freedom of expression and the free flow of news and information in those platforms as well, right? Definitely, definitely. Uh, this is the reason why you, you are absolutely right. They, it's very, very difficult. Of course, we know that the European U uh, Union is now uh, trying to, to have an approach uh, uh, respecting uh, the freedom of expression, of course, um, but at the same time protecting uh, some important values like fair access. Of course, we need to ensure fair access. We need to ensure uh, pr uh, data protection. And at the same time, we need really to avoid uh, incitement, uh, uh, incitement uh, to hatred. But uh, let me tell you something. We cannot, of course, uh, try to, 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 uh, to fight disinformation, to fight uh, uh, fake news, uh, uh, shrinking uh, uh, the space for media freedom. On the contrary, uh, the more we invest in having uh, a very vibrant uh, uh, media landscape, uh, uh, the more we'll be protected from, uh, uh, from all the, 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 the negative uh, aspects. Um, uh, related to uh, to fake news, disinformation, etc. We need uh, good journalists. Uh, we need uh, citizens that uh, are uh, able uh, to navigate uh, in in the online platforms. Um, uh, so, uh, and we need, of course, fair access, uh, data protection, uh, and. Uh, uh, and this is, I would say, the, the most important. If we have all these ingredients, uh, then it will be uh, much easier uh, for all of us to counter uh, disinformation, to counter um, fake news, uh, etc. Mm -hmm. And just to wrap up, and looking into the future, I know how difficult it is to do any kind of prognosis, but um, do you think that these attacks will increase or decrease, uh, especially given the current climate of polarization in many states? Of course, the, the, it's, it's, uh, it's a possibility, uh, and unfortunately a strong one, um, that this phenomenon uh, uh, will continue uh, uh, to be something, uh, uh, to be a reality, unfortunately. Uh, but uh, uh, this means that uh, we have to work collectively and to do our best. Uh, to ensure that uh, these attacks decrease, uh, especially given mm, the current climate of polarization. Uh, so this is, uh, of course, uh, very important. And let me um, emphasize uh, once again that online abuse uh, designed to in intimidate or shame journalists has um, a terrible impact uh, a terrible impact, uh, mental, physical, and uh, emotional, uh, resulting uh, in self-censorship, uh, anxiety, long-term concerns uh, about professional choice, uh, fear, uh, and trauma. 
uh, with all the consequences uh, for freedom of expression, uh, which is so important uh, in our uh, democratic uh, societies. Um, over the last past years, the international community uh, came together to create a better understanding of the, of the scope and magnitude of the problem, uh, which uh, in, many, in many instances led to more commitments uh, and better policies. Uh, but there is still a lot to be done. And uh, what we want with Soft Show uh, is to contribute to what uh, uh, we need to do and what is still to be done. Ms. Teresa Ribeiro, thank you very much for participating in the Press Freedom Files. Thank you. Looking beyond what governments and authorities can do, newsrooms are, in fact, the first line of defense when a journalist faces an avalanche of threats and discrediting posts online that look to silence her. Espela Stare, Secretary General of the Slovene Association of Journalists, says that in some cases, managers and editors don't really know what to do. She says that journalists feel powerless maybe in a lot of, uh, in many of those situations and they even don't get, you know, the support of the, of the media, of the employers, you know, it's just, it's not proactive, you know, um, journalists cannot know what sort of support can he or she expect when it is, when he or she is attacked. Uh, uh, there are no protocols. So journalists need to go to the employer uh, and to say, or to the editor and say, this and this happened, will you do something? What will you do? You know, so it's no, uh, we are now, we, we want to, to, to get these protocols uh, in place in the, in, the, in the newsrooms because there is, really is a lack of this or legal or communicational or or psychological uh, support to, to the attacked journalists. IPI has launched a protocol for newsrooms that draws from best practices observed in more than 40 media organizations across Europe. The project, called Newsrooms on the Line, offers a specific actionable measures to help managers and editors transform their newsrooms into safe harbors for journalists that are targeted with online threats. We talked about it with IPI's executive director, Barbara Triomphi. Barbara Triomphi, hello and welcome to the Press Freedom Files. Hi, Javier, and thank you for having me today. So, as executive director of IPI, you are in close contact with leading editors and news managers from all over the world. Do you think that they are aware that online harassment is affecting their journalists and also the credibility of their outlets? Yes, indeed, of course, there is awareness about online attacks against journalists. And, and this issue has often been brought to IPI's attention by our members across the world. You know, uh, online harassment is a real problem and it is perceived as such by the journalist community and by the news industry. 
I think that the real question here is whether editors and news managers are sufficiently aware about what they can do to counter it. Um, and if they know what they can do, can they afford to implement measures to counter online attacks? You know, most attacks come through social media platforms and editors and managers feel that they have no possibility to remove these comments. Uh, also because their requests to the big social media companies to take down attacks and insults are regularly being ignored. On the other hand, in order to ensure that online attacks posted on the discussion pages of the news outlets themselves are removed fast, they need to substantially increase the resources and the staff dedicated to content moderation. As we know, many news organizations, in particular those that strive to remain independent and produce quality content, are going through very serious financial hardship at the moment. So many just don't have the possibility of dedicating sufficient staff and resources to moderation. But, but you know, this is precisely the reason why IPI has decided to put together um, our newsroom on the lines guidelines. Because we believe that there are many ways to limit the effects of uh, online harassment on journalists, and many do not require any major investments by news organizations in order to implement them. Mm -hmm. And what's the most important factor that a newsroom should consider when implementing measures to tackle online harassment? You know, the, the newsroom on the line guidelines were developed by IPI uh, together with uh, over 40 newsrooms and over 110 experts. Uh, most experts agree that the key element of success in tackling online harassment is creating within the newsroom a conducive environment for journalists to report attacks. You know, journalists should not feel ashamed for being targeted and should not believe that they are expected to be strong and face these attacks alone. Rather the opposite, you know, anybody working for a news organization, including freelancers, they should feel that the newsroom is a safe harbor, is offering access to different support mechanisms to those editors and journalists who are being targeted. Creating this culture of safety, as we call it, uh, within the newsroom is a key element of physical safety protocols that IPI has been working on with its members for decades. So the overall approach that we have taken to online safety is not different. Certainly, obviously, dealing with online attacks require specific tools which are different from those that we use to, to tackle physical attacks. Okay, let's say that a journalist, uh, I mean, specifically a woman journalist, who we've seen that they are targets of even more vicious attacks than their male colleagues. Um, so this woman journalist takes the step to report that she has been targeted online. So what, what happens then? So according to the IPI guidelines, the very first step after an attack has been reported is to take a risk assessment. This, you know, this assessment will look at quantifying the risk primarily in three different areas. First of all, we need to quantify the risk that the online attack turns into a physical attack. 
we have seen this happen in many instances, especially in the case of journalists who are publicly exposed, those typically those who work in front of the camera. You know, suddenly after a, an online harassment campaign against them, suddenly they feel confronted with physical attacks out on the street, or even worse. I mean, even some of the journalists who have been killed recently uh, were victims of, were targeted with, with uh, online attacks before. So we need to um, assess the risk of physical attacks. Secondly, the risk assessment will also need to quantify the level of stress that the online attacks cause to the journalist targeted. Basically, the risk caused by the psychological and emotional stress. Very often, you know, attacks don't come alone. They're part of harassment campaigns, and journalists find themselves at the center of coordinated campaigns, including numerous hostile and threatening messages on social media platforms, emails, websites. Occasionally, they also attack their family members, their children. So, uh, in many cases, and also on top of it, you know, we have to consider that journalists know that very often there are powerful individuals behind these campaigns. So assessing the level of stress that these type of campaign cause to the journalists is key in order to make support structures available to them. Uh, and also we need to assess the access that these journalists have to existing support structures, be it within their family environment, being within their work environment, among their colleagues. So all this is also very important to the risk assessment. And thirdly, we need to assess the, what we call the reputational risk. You know, many online attacks challenge the credibility of the journalists who are being attacked. Uh, you know, the journalists would falsely being accused of having received money or benefits in exchange for certain articles or having hidden interests. And while this is not true, the fact that such statements go viral on, on public social media platforms challenge the credibility and the reputation of the journalist and as a consequence of the news organization. So it is important to assess the risk that all these poses to the credibility of the news organizations and what can be done against this, what can be done to counter this through public statements or otherwise. So this is the first step. Okay, so we've seen how abuse comes from social media platforms and also from the very comments uh, that the users post in the, in the news outlets uh, forums. Uh, but then at the same time, these two channels are essential tools to build a community of loyal readers that can potentially become subscribers, right? So how can you manage this successfully? I mean, media and journalists need these channels to disseminate the news, but if this comes with being targeted with threats and insults, it just, I don't know, seems a heavy price to pay. Precisely, this is precisely the problem. Um, and as you say, you know, today social media platforms have become such a core part of the process of collecting and disseminating information that journalists cannot afford to just step out and give up on their presence on social media. So in, in extreme situations or during really intense harass harassment campaigns, some journalists have chosen to step away for short periods uh, and occasionally they have asked colleagues or friends to monitor their social media accounts to see what comes through. 
but this is inevitably a short-term solution. So how can journalists remain present on social media platforms and not be targeted? The, the IPI guidelines also include a number of useful tips on how to limit the amount of attacks that we receive through social media. You know, these include the activation of certain filtering functions made available by the platforms, um, so-called profanity filters, or blocking certain words, certain users, or muting users. So the guidelines go through all this and how to do this best. Uh, and finally, reporting. I mean, we, we, we know that the platforms don't always react as fast as we would like to our reports, takedown reports, takedown requests. But it's important that journalists continue to report harassment. You know, in the end, it is the responsibility of the platforms to do something about this, and we need to insist on this. Uh, you mentioned removing content, sorry, comments from online interactive forums on news organizations' website. That is obviously easier, as editors have control over these platforms. However, this needs to be done in line with a number of very clear criteria, which are explained in the IPI guidelines. You know, in the end, we shouldn't forget that as journalists and editors, we feed on free expression, and, and users' comments, even, even if they're not always pleasant, are very often a very important form of input into our journalistic work. So we need to be careful in what we decide to remove and how we do this. And the guidelines uh, you know, explain very well in order to make sure that whoever takes over this function is fully aware of the consequences. Mm -hmm. And just to wrap up this conversation, what is an effective way to address online harassment and uh, specifically, what's the role that IPI or institutions like, a, like IPI can play in it? Well, I think there are three things that journalists can do and should do. First of all, they need to protect themselves. And, and we have spoken about those um, newsrooms on the lines guidelines, how newsrooms, what newsrooms can do, but also what individual journalists can do in order to shield themselves from the attacks uh, or from the consequences thereof. The second uh, is, uh, as you said, there are different stakeholders. So what journalists uh, can do is to hold them accountable. There is a justice system there. There are, um, you know, there is there there is police investigation. There are a number of public institutions that should play a role in ensuring that journalists can carry out their job without fear of retaliations, without attacks, and and journalists need to hold these institutions accountable. And, and finally, we need to step up our work in understanding who is behind these campaigns of online attacks against journalists. You know that very often there are coordinated campaigns, and we know that there are very strong interests behind. In those, there are people who are interested in silencing journalists. Uh, so we need to step up our journalistic investigations, our network analysis to expose the patterns of attacks and smear campaigns and the actors behind them. And we'll get there. Thank you very much, Barbara Triumphi, for taking the time to participate in this podcast. Thank you. So that's it for today. If you have enjoyed this episode, please be sure to share it on social media. The Press Freedom Files is a podcast produced by the International Press Institute as part of its Newsrooms on the Line project, funded by Adesium Foundation, and the project Media Freedom Rapid Response, a project also co-funded by the European Commission. 
You can listen to more episodes in your favorite podcast platform or visit our website, ipi.media. Thanks for tuning in today and see you in the next episode of The Press Freedom Files. Thank you.